Hello and welcome to the Future Tribe podcast. Each week we'll be talking about getting things done. We'll talk to people who've built up their businesses, pulled off amazing projects and cover everything from psychology and strategy to the tips and tricks that will help make your dream a reality. We're the podcast that's all about empowering the optimists and the go-getters. I'm your host, Jermaine Muller. You're listening to the Future Tribe podcast and this episode is just getting started. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of Last Week on Tuesday. This week is a big, big week um, in terms of news. A lot of uh, earnings reports um, in in the lead up to, I guess, the finishing up of a of another quarter in the US. Some interesting news out of that, and um, a whole bunch of other news. Um, as always, how are you today, Hayden? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, keen to get into all this news. Yeah, a lot to discuss. All right, let's uh, get started with notable news. Take it away, Hayden. So Google announces BERT, uh, a search algorithm that's going to help Google better understand the natural language. Our study comes out that nearly 90% of consumers are not down with selling their personal data. Facebook is beginning to roll out its news tab, but only in the US, and starts to fight back against the criticisms of how it handled the 2016 election and how it's going to fix that moving forward. Uh, Amazon shares fell by nearly 7% following poor profits, while Twitter's fell by 20%. Snapchat gets closer to profitability with 7 million new users. Uh, Streaming box manufacturer Roku buys an ad tech platform. Netflix raises $2 billion in debt for more exclusive content. Uh, Tesla actually manages to have a profitable quarter, which is rare. Um, game streamer Shroud moves to Microsoft Mixer along, alongside Ninja. Uh, NordVPN has been hacked. ESPN Plus is running ads on paying accounts. Uh, the Luminary podcast platform announced the new CEO. YouTube will launch its first ever interactive original. And Google launches Duplex internationally oh. in New Zealand. That was a lot of news to go through. All mm. right, let's um, quickly hop through it all because we could spend probably hours talking about it. But to get the ball rolling, Google announces BERT, its latest search algorithm that helps Google better understand natural language. Google up- uploading, or sorry, updating their search algorithm is not a new thing. They keep trying to make results better and better. I mean, I think we all forget... Um, how bad search results used to be compared with, you know, how good they are now. Uh, I guess it's more of a, they're better now um, than they have ever been rather than a, they used to be bad in, in the sense that you just get the answers that you're looking for nowadays. You don't have to click as much as you used to. Um, yeah, definitely. I don't know, know what you feel about that, but... Um, uh, yeah, well, just on that topic, I mean, not to get on a tangent, but I remember back in the day, like when I was in year seven or eight, so a couple of years ago now, they used to teach you like tricks of how um, Google search engine was optimized. So you'd have to put specific things in brackets to get like the whole sentence to search as a phrase. Yes, and, um, but it's changing to... now. It's not so yeah, much but... that approach anymore, is it? Yeah, well, it's a lot more like user friendly now. And as you said, like it's gotten to a point where I'm rarely having to search twice on Google because I always seem to get the results I want on the first go. But maybe I'm just lucky, Jermaine. Maybe I'm. No, I I agree. I think I've I've noticed the same thing. And with this change, what they're talking about is, you know, a search term like, um, can you pick up script someone pharmacy um, when normally. Google would take that as a um, would pick out a few keywords and treat words like pharmacy and script as important. Um, this time around, they understand that what you're trying to say is, are you able to pick up someone else's script from a pharmacy um, yep. on their behalf? Um, things like that that I guess match up to how we search and how we talk. Now, it's a common thing that's happening with Google. They're trying to make it more conversational with their search and less yep. like the brackets, et cetera, that you would have um, learned about, you know, all those years ago, back in year seven, year yeah. eight. Yeah. So basically this change, it's better helping the Google search engine understand the context for certain words. So as Jermaine said, it's no longer using the keywords 
and basing all your search results off that. It will use the intermediary words as well to sort of distinguish what you're looking for. I mean, the example in the article we're reading from, it talks about um, traveling to USA from Brazil, visa, you know, passport, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And it's, it, it um, talks about how that word to changes the whole context of the search results. And yeah. once this is implemented, it's saying that about one in 10 um, Google searches will be impacted by this, which is a pretty big change. As it will be changed. Um, it is a massive impact, um, but I guess it leads to, uh, I guess, reminding listeners and business owners and content writers that um, writing articles that are more like how you speak and writing articles that answer questions directly uh, will serve um, you better in the long run because Google's trying to make sure that um, their responses, their answers um, that they deliver are in the same way that you would sort of speak because guess what? People are getting used to more and more um, searching as they would, as if they would talk, as if they would speak um, rather than searching in some custom way or in some different format. So just something to keep in mind when you're developing content moving forward as well. Um, content where you answer questions directly um, rather than taking a roundabout approach could serve you better and, and even not looking or not sounding very, uh, I guess advanced, you know, don't go through and um, right click synonym synonyms and find sort of more um, advanced words for things. Just keep it simple. Keep it easy. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> That's it. Um, moving on, nearly 90% of consumers would choose to not sell their personal data. Um, I am so surprised, Hayden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is coming out of a study uh, from um, a center for public relations in a survey of 1,000 mm. US adults. No surprise yeah. here. Uh, definitely not. Um, what was interesting though, it found that consumers aged from 18 to 34 actually weren't as opposed to selling their information as older age groups were. Um, the article that we're referencing says that only about 50% of people in that age bracket were actually strongly against having their information shared, which is again, interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, just a reminder, links always in the description. So if you're trying to look at the same article that we're looking at, um, there's nothing visually interesting, so we're not sharing it on the video, but um, yeah. there's links there. I mean, hey, I am one of those people who would um, sell my private information um, because I know that it's a transaction. I know that the free free software that I'm using isn't free for them to run, isn't free for them to develop and um, optimize for us. And sure. I'm okay with trading, you know, my personal information saying that, I mean, I'm, I find for most people, I'm pretty careful with what I publish online. I'm sure you are mm -hmm. as well, but for a lot mm -hmm. of people, they publish all sorts of personal information online anyway, that you it wouldn't take many clicks to find. So yeah. Yeah. Look, I think like the big thing to take out of this article is that while people are adverse to just giving their informa information away for free, they're not adverse to having a value transaction there. So if they're given like, you know, discounts and rewards or actual products or services for giving their information, they become a lot more um, conducive to doing so. And that's pretty common knowledge, I think. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's a transaction at the end of the day. They can't yes, you know, they're selling your data to, or data to, to um, make money. But fundamentally, if you look at the service that they then provide, um, you know, if you can get it somewhere else and they won't steal your private data and you're happy to pay for it, I, I, I say, go ahead and do it. It's, it's, um, it's up to you, you know, they're not forcing yeah. you to be on that platform. Um, exactly. Moving, moving on. Um, I mean, we were just talking about selling personal data and uh, next news article is about Facebook. Um, very, very well, well-known well company to that sells your personal data. Um, the next news article here is that uh, Facebook starting to test their news um, sort of function. It's a sec news section for journalists. Um, we were just chatting about this um, earlier, Hayden and I, and it's... Um, it's interesting that Google's taken this route makes sense because Google wants you to, sorry, Facebook wants you to get um, 
it's funny because you talk about any of these tech companies and they all want you to get, get as much of your life's information from them. So, you know, Google has their news tab. Now Facebook is um, in there as well. Apple has a news app. So Mm. not surprising. It's just not the best timing, um, especially um, when we're sort of, it's coinciding with um, the other article that we, we did um, want to talk about was the um, fighting of election lies um, and, you know, news election lies. Some of them are ads, some of them are real news articles it all gets a bit hazy. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this does actually lead into our second topic, which is Facebook responding to the criticisms of how they are handling election campaign ads, which is basically because they've, to those who don't know, they've rolled out a lot of new functionality with Facebook that helps um, security and it helps uh, validate information to the point where on Facebook and Instagram now, eventually, just like a piece of content that ha- that has you know gore or swearing in it will be tagged with the sensitive um the sensitive uh thing over it so and tag. you have to, yeah. yeah tag over it and you got to click through to make sure you want to see it there will be a tag that shows that that, that this information has been vetted by an independent source and it, it contains fake information the problem that people are having is that all this functionality doesn't extend to their ad campaigns and while they're while they're trying to counteract this by showing you the ad spend that these political parties have and you can monitor it a bit better and there is some more transparency there, it begs the question that why is not this functionality not being imposed on advertisements or being imposed on the posts that these same politicians would make on their private um, Facebook pages, Accounts, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all going to come down to business at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, well, and I wish that they were a bit more forthcoming with it and they would sort of, you know, because me and Jermaine were discussing this before where this is so clearly a um, profit-driven decision that they don't want to hurt the amount of ad spending that political parties and political pundits will pump into the platform. But I don't know. I feel like there is... Facebook needs to extend, you know, these measures to they're paid having like ad revenue products. Otherwise it's all for naught in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's part of, part of this could be argued that it's just for, I guess, good public will and good public um, sort of, I guess, feeling versus the ill feelings that um, Facebook's been suffering. But moving on, um, we've got a whole bunch of um, bunch of earnings reports um, that have come out. And uh, so the next few articles are all about, I guess, the numbers and business. Um, first one, Amazon shares fall by nearly 7% following lower than expected profits. So it should be noted that um, they, they reported uh, a $4.23 a share profit versus the $4.62. doesn't sound like a huge difference, but it, it is, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. And it's... Um, led to the shares um, take a pretty pretty solid hit in after hours trading of, of 7%. Um, I'd be interested to see if they've sort of, it's sort of recovered since then. Um, but, you know, Amazon famously not, not profitable for a long, long time and they're, they've been profitable in recent years and, and doing mm-hmm. quite well. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah sorry. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to say to give a bit of context to listeners that the big reason why uh, their stock took a downturn is because they've been, they integrated same day shipping in America, basically a guarantee for free that any products that you order off Amazon, if it's a specific product type, will be delivered the same day. And that, that was pretty costly. I think it in the quarter that they're, talk, they're, they're referencing here, cost them about $800 million. Yes, is, it's it's yeah, big. It's big. Crazy amount of money. And um, even though that they let this be known to investors ahead of time, it still took a massive hit. So to your statement before, I don't think Amazon stock will rebound um, immediately, but it might. But it will long term. I think long this term, is all. Yeah. yeah, I think we've all realized and seen that Amazon um, CEO Jeff Bezos is very happy to play the long game. And um yep. It's worked out for him. Um, they're also talking about 
um, Amazon predicting net sales of 80 to $86.5 billion um, in the upcoming holiday season. So, um, and that, that's going to result, you know, in a, in a incoming, sorry, operating income um, um, of, or reduction of about a billion dollars versus what they would have expected a year ago. But I would think that, um, in the in the following years after that, once they've sort of absorbed their cost and and um, worked through, I guess integrating um, this one day shipping sort of capacity, that it'll result in more sales than ever before. Um, yeah, I all... think that's always been Amazon's business model being exactly. a, a cost leader in in you know gaining market share by offering the best cheapest service. Cheapest. Short-term loss, but long-term gain is is their big, big thing. So something to be said there for Amazon style. And even, I guess, good old Jeff, he doesn't he doesn't have to worry about money so much. He knows that it'll he'll be fine regardless. So um, I don't know. His wife, his ex-wife took about half of it. So maybe, oh, he's maybe only, he's only left with what? Tens of billions of dollars. Um, oh, you know, know. <laughs> what does that buy you these days? Not much, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, moving on um, Twitter I didn't I forget that Twitter exists sometimes um, all this talk about Facebook Google Apple and and Amazon and Microsoft uh, forget that Twitter is still a company but they've um, their stocks are down 20% um, despite seeing some user growth which I'm a little bit surprised about um, I didn't mm. I didn't think that um they'd still be seeing user growth, but I guess um, as people start losing favor with Facebook and um, other companies, they're, they're looking for options and um, the, the sort yeah. of third, fourth, fifth place um, social media networks are, are benefiting a little bit at least. Yeah. I've, and Twitter's always been a thing that has never really caught on for whatever reason in Australia. I don't think like no. other social medias, it just never never really resonated with the Australian public for whatever reason. But uh, it's interesting that they, that they weren't able to increase their you know, market value despite growing their audience and growing their audience that they can make money off uh, pretty significantly. Yeah, well, you're, you're referring to the point that they've... So most people would be used to um, talking about monthly active users and daily active users. They've got their own sort of... Uh, statistic that is monetizable daily active users or mdau mm. um that's something they came up with themselves essentially but the idea is that um their their suggestion is that they can't show ads to everyone and so this sort of gives you an idea of the people they can show ads to and as a business case shows you who they can deliver um your advertising to uh yeah. that came in at 145 million people versus 124 million um, last year, same time last year, and 139 million in the first, sorry, second quarter of this year. So it's a decent increase. Um, Supposedly, I think growth analysts were expecting more, but still, you know, they made it, they made an income of $37 million, which is not, is not Google, Amazon sort of money, but it's not still a good, healthy business. Yeah, yeah. And the big reason for this loss, apparently, or what they're claiming to be the reason is that their advertising systems weren't optimized well, that they weren't reaching the delivering the right amount of people. Yeah, delivering the ads properly. Mm -hmm. And that that they're going to address this moving forward, that this is a good sign. And they're pretty confident that in the long term, Twitter will stick around and be a very profitable company, which... Sounds yet like to be it. seen, I mean, but yeah, yeah, they, they, they did that quarter was nearly that that quarter would have been over a billion Australian dollars in in revenue. So that's a that's a business that's going to hang around, um, especially Definitely. if they're making profit. You know, um, yeah, having some income. Um, mo- moving on to another company that again um, I forget sometimes that they still exist. That's Snapchat or Snap Inc. Um, which is, I think, the official name of of uh, the company who owns the Snapchat app. Um, they are getting closer to profitability. I am, again, very surprised that this is the case. Um, they're still sort of trading. Let me refresh my memory. They're trading still at below their IPO um, sort of dollars, 
Um, so when they initially um, listed on the s stock uh, market, they were, yeah, they were trading at $17, but um, so at the moment they're trading around $14, which is not bad considering that a lot of people felt like $17 was a lot to pay for, for a share in um, Snapchat. Um, yep. But, you know, they're still talking about, um, you know, big numbers when it comes to their, their losses. Like there was a 446 million US dollars in revenue, which is up 50%, just crazy. Um, mm. But there was still a loss on that. So net loss improved 227 million from 255 million. Um, how does that make sense with the loss decreasing 98 million versus Q3 2018? So I guess they're just losing less money than they have before. Yes. Is, is what yep. TechCrunch is saying. Um, I, I'm surprised that, you know, Snapchat still exists, but again, there's, there's this probably a distinct market that Snapchat's really doing well in. Hmm. Well, I, I think their hope is that, that they can eventually as smartphone and technology proliferates into developing countries that they can use that to, sort to of grow for their growth to yeah. growth because even though they grew by 7 million active users, you know, in the last little period, only a million of those were from Europe and North America with the yeah, rest. Yeah, I did see that. Places so like, from India. So again, maybe like a lot of these companies, they are playing the long game and hoping that, you know, eventually through, frugality and just continuing their market share that they can be a profitable com uh, company. But Snapchat, I have reservations about just because mm -hmm. of the limited use of the platform. We've spoken about this numerous times, so I won't beat a dead horse, but yeah, that's my thoughts on it. As a platform, yeah, arguably less utility compared with even something like Twitter, um, let alone the Facebooks of this world. Um, moving on, um, the last sort of, money or earnings report um, is Tesla. They've eked out a profit. Um, very surprised. I, this doesn't happen uh, regularly, but apparently they ended up with uh, $5.3 billion in cash. Um, I mean, yeah, I am extremely, extremely surprised. Um, all in all, um, I don't think that was $5.3 in in profit, it was a net income of $143 million. Um, which, which is pretty is, modest for a company the size of Tesla. It, it is because they had $6.3 billion in revenue. So um, we were talking about someone, someone like, you know, Twitter, for example, who was a billion dollars in revenue for that quarter, you know, Tesla's six times the size. So it's um, not yeah. small numbers. Yeah, and again, like they have excuses for why this is. Um, one of their main excuses is that they offer um, leasing programs for Teslas now, so a lot of people are adopting that as paying out right. So Something like tripling is, off the off the number isn't isn't that is that right? Yeah, yeah, and and I think also the reason why they have been able to turn a profit, which they haven't done since twenty eighteen, mm. I believe that. Um, is basically because Elon Musk has been way more involved than he previously has, has been micromanaging in order to cut costs. And they just recently opened a humongous factory in China, which I'm sure helps their economies of scale and gets every gets all their costs down. But yeah, I mean, Tesla is an interesting company and it's I, I have a lot of faith in Elon Musk. I do really think he is a smart guy, but it will be interesting to see whether they can sort of sustain this buzz and continue to be the market leaders as competitors, you know, yeah. Put forward Proper competitors come, come on board. Like, you know, yeah. Volkswagen recently launched, um, their, that what they're calling is the electric car, um, equivalent of, of the Volkswagen golf, um, or even the beetle before that. Um, yeah. Mercedes has their own products. Everyone's really, you know, getting on the, on the electric bandwagon. Um, I mean, looking at the numbers, they delivered just well, 97,000 cars in the third quarter of 2019. Um, if you look at, you know, the number of cars that someone like, um, I don't know, number of Fords sold per day, um, 97,000 is, is nothing. Um, here we go. Yeah. Six and a half thousand new trucks 
are sold in the in the US per day. Um, yeah. So you you know in in twelve well in fifteen days um, they're doing the same number that Tesla does in three months. Um, so it gives an idea of scales at at this stage. But regardless, it's good to see that the company's profitable and no matter what anyone says, no matter what, you know, the haters um, say like, like arguably myself, um, they've, they've pushed innovation forward and they've pushed electrical vehicles forward. And that's, that's sometimes, you know, that's, that's a big goal. That's a big thing for a company to do. That's a big responsibility and something that uh, they should be credited for. But moving on, um, I've got a bit of news in the, in the streaming space. So Roku, not very big in Australia, but, quite big in the US. Um, they've just bought um, a, a, what is it, an ad tech business um, that allows marketers to plan, buy and optimize their video ad campaigns that run on Roku's uh, devices and services. Um, so they've got over 30 million active users. Um, and I guess they've just want to monetize that, that um, crowd. Um, yeah, which, I, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like the margins would be so thin because they are just a streaming box. They don't really create any original content. So, you know, they have like an Apple TV app and a Netflix app and all this and sort of stuff. So, half sort of hardware, but that's it. Exactly. So, I mean, and the cost of these units is really low. I'm pretty sure you can buy like a Roku, like one of their simple models for less than $50 in the U S. So it's not as if they're making money on hardware. So, it's a pretty intuitive decision from them. Um, it really sort of is another sign that streaming is slowly becoming TV. Yeah. Like but it. I think what's more interesting is, was it last week or the week before that we covered Nike acquiring an, an ad um, or their own platform? Um, mm. Just these big companies acquiring their own platforms and bringing a lot of things in house rather than necessarily going to a third party. Um, yeah, makes sense. Um, well, just especially for these guys, because I'm not sure how you would monetize a service, like a not a service, a product, a free sort like, of streaming service. Yeah. yeah, without advertising and you know information gathering and you know selling and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. I mean, this leads me to jump just quickly to an article we had a bit further down, but I'm just going to move it up, which is the ESPN Plus. Yeah, so ESPN Plus is essentially ESPN's streaming service, but they've started to run ads on accounts of users who are paying a subscription fee, which would really turn me off. Yeah. I mean, it should be said, though, that there were some ads on ESPN Plus um, prior to Disney rolling out this new ad scheme. Because, By the way, Disney's coming into this because Disney owns ESPN. Yep, yep. Um, but the problem is now is that there are a lot more frequent pre-roll ads when people are live streaming sports, which, um, you know, users are not happy about. And moreover, there is no ability to skip these ads, which I find like really crazy. The fact that you are paying, um, not a insignificant amount of money. It's the same as a Netflix account or a Hulu account or stuff like that. Mm. And you are still subject to really intrusive and invasive ads that you have no ability to skip yeah i mean it's just again a sign i think that um this sort of streaming is becoming more mainstream that generally leads to i would say more more costs as as more users come on they i wouldn't be surprised if they have a bunch of uh free trial users on there for example and Mm. you know as they start getting more popular i would think that there's a huge larger pool of customers on trials and customers on discounted sort of um, accounts that increases sort of infrastructure costs, but maybe that's part of it. I I just couldn't help but chuckle that um, they said it wasn't a um, a monetary decision and it wasn't a financial pressure decision, but a, but a business decision, which to me sounds like the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it is the same thing, right? Like money and financial decisions uh, are business decisions. But again, this is in the lead up to Disney Plus coming out and there's, you know, Hulu, which is also owned by Disney. Um, I guess it should be said that 
they're probably just seeing what their users will, will put up with and if they can make more money and offer more advertising options. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, they're big enough to probably take the risk and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then that's fine. They, they probably won't lose a, a significant amount of users um, in, in anger. I yeah. Mean, I, where I think ESPN going, Plus, right? yeah, ESPN Plus has, I think, been struggling for a little bit now because they're just like cheaper um, and better streaming solutions, especially like free streaming solutions for sports. I mean, there is no, yeah, you could, it takes like one Google search and you can find pretty much any link to any sports. So yeah, definitely. I think that they're just trying to push their push, as you said, push their user base and ring them out for as much money as they can, because it's really not a profitable venture right now. Yeah. So they're just, they've got nothing to lose almost. Um, moving on to another streaming service, Netflix uh, is going to raise two billion US dollars in debt to fund more content spending. Smart move, I think, um, raising that in debt um, because that basically means that any of the people who who own a chunk of Netflix um, won't have to water down their their relevant chunks. They're just taking on debt, and that just becomes a liability. Um, but again, investing heavily into original content, you mentioned when we were talking about Roku, uh, Hayden, that as a streaming service, they don't have much more to offer than just you know delivering content. And I guess that's yep. where Netflix has been able to be more successful um, is because they're well, generating their own content. Yeah, I mean, like as streaming platforms, you know, become more and more popular, they proliferate. Uh, you need points of difference that are going to get consumers to go to your platform as opposed to every other platform and you know at a point it was getting exclusive shows that were in syndication on your platform but now as the people who own those shows are like well we can create our own platform you need to you know create your own content to sort of match that yes they're essentially sticking to disney for example because disney can say hey we're launching our own platform now we're going to bring back all our content and deliver it from our own platform. And Netflix needs, needs some weight in that game to say, listen, we yeah, just get out in front of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. They're just, they, 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 it's not, it's not a, a secret that Disney plus is going to launch soon. Apple TV is probably going to launch anytime soon. Um, why, why not, I guess, shore up your de- defenses right now. Yeah. And it's been a successful um, venture for them. I mean, all the Marvel shows on Netflix were super successful. Uh, Orange is the New Black was super successful. 13 Reasons. Like, all of these shows were really, really, yeah. you know, Massive hits. profitable and, yeah, um, you know, impactful in the pop culture zeitgeist. So, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I definitely back this decision from Netflix. Two billion is just a massive number, but I guess... Again, it's not cheap to make TV and they're probably going to get a whole bunch of celebrities, um, actors, actresses, um, comedians on, on um, Netflix. Yep. So it, it's I mean, just yeah, a smart you, marketing tactic. That's the thing because some of these, you mentioned comedians and stand-up and stuff like that. Like they're paying some of these comedians tens of millions of dollars like Dave Chappelle to get exclusive rights to their, their, you know, their stand-up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, no, to, definitely yeah, Not moving forward, um, Twitch megastar Shroud. Um, so this might make little to no sense to the people who aren't across the whole sort of game streaming sort of culture that's happening at the moment. Um, and mm. it's big money, big business. Um, yep. So Twitch is a game streaming platform. Um, well, it's not. It's not a. It's a streaming platform, but it's online video. But it's mostly used for mostly games. for gaming. Yeah. So yep. that is that is yeah an important distinction to make. It's yep. a video streaming platform, um, but where the user generates the content and they live stream what they're doing. So it's not yep. really competing with Netflix um, and and those sorts of video streaming services. Um, so they've Microsoft, I believe. So Microsoft has um, Mixer. It should be noted that Twitch is owned by Amazon um, and Microsoft has a competitor called Mixer, um, which is acquired by Microsoft in 2016. Um, they've recently uh, no doubt offered a huge sum of money for a popular uh, Twitch streamer um, called Ninja to move over. And then they've now just offered 
shroud a whole bunch of money to move over. Um, obviously, these aren't their real names. These are their gamer tags or these are their character names, but a big sign of what's to come. I love how you had to clarify that, like someone is actually named Ninja. <laughs> <Dead> ninja. <laughs> um, this just shows to me that, you know, the content consumption um, sort of landscape is changing. Um, and as as business owners, it's just important to keep an eye on this as, as um, people who try and keep across what's coming up and what's happening. I think it's important to keep an eye on um, these changes and, and this shift in the landscape. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely indicative of a shift between companies viewing people's investment in the platform versus the individual, where I feel like now companies are starting to understand better than ever that what drives people to a platform is the content creators on it. Like what makes YouTube, YouTube. Are the YouTubers. Yeah, exactly. But what's ironic about that is like a lot of these um, platforms, more YouTube than Twitch, Twitch actually from everything I've heard is on the up and up, but YouTube will pretty poorly treat its creators and not Mm -hmm. give them proper revenue splits you know, in the belief that they are the market leader. So well, exactly. it. it just comes yeah. from ESPN plus same story, right? As far as YouTube's concerned, yes, YouTube is aware. YouTubers are the ones who draw, um, draw viewers in onto YouTube. But as far as YouTube's concerned, um, the YouTubers are just users of their service and they're the biggest service of their type. Uh, there's not even a remotely close second place. Um, so they can do whatever they want. But moving yeah. on, um, NordVPN confirms that it was hacked. Now, this is big news because they're sort of... So Nord, NordVPN, I personally don't use a VPN service provider, but it's a virtual private network. And the idea is that it sort of uh, creates a, a, a hidden tunnel um, for your internet communications so that your internet service provider or um, anyone else can snoop in. Yeah, it's, it masks your IP, basically. Yeah, it masks it masks your identity. It masks um, your your internet traffic. Uh, some people um, claim it to be a safer way to browse. I personally don't don't really buy into it. Um, but you know, I could see it being used. For example, while I'm traveling, I will probably um, get a VPN. Just use a VPN. Yep. Just just while I'm connecting to unknown, say hotel Wi-Fi's or airport Wi-Fi, just doesn't hurt. Um, yep. But the fact that these guys were hacked is a bit of a concern. Um, so they were hacked, just trying to, it was in March, 2018, I believe that it was, it was hacked. The concern is that it was, it happened so long ago. It's mm. taken them so long to announce that it's, that it happened. Um, Which is pretty dodgy. I got to say like, just off the rip, like you. Exactly. For a service that's supposed that we, to be like secure, secure or security based. Yep. Exactly right. Yep. Um, the fact that they kept it for so long, like, I don't know what this, I guess maybe this was a short term. They felt like if they hit it, it wouldn't cause any issues, but then long-term they're still going to take a hit. I would say, um, mm. I mean, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big breach. It was basically like what happened was that, um, they, they hire servers of the service providers. Um, that's how they can sort of spin up a new service in, in any part of the world really, really quickly pretty traditional approach but what happened was when when that service provider was setting up that account um that that service um they left essentially a remote sort of assistance plugin unlocked and unpatched and that just was never patched for a long long time it was just there's no way to say who used what how many times but um yeah it, there's just been reports that um it's been hacked um any any other comments from you I mean, like you just touched on basically the observation I was going to make that it's it's pretty damning to your brand's reputation that you are an online service built off the tenets of providing security and you get hacked. Not only do you get hacked, you don't really make it publicly known until a year later. Yeah. I mean, this is, just, this is going to be a PR nightmare for NordVPN and the fact that there is no shortage of VPNs out there on the, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't bode well for them. No, no. Um, moving on, Luminary, which is a pod, podcast 
podcast platform. There we go. Uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister, um, I must say. Um, they've now announced new CEO. So they the service actually debuted um, sort of six months ago. And Luminary is like a podcast listening platform with a free app but it also has a paid model where this is like a Netflix for um, podcasts in that mm-hmm. they've paid um, a whole bunch of celebrities like Lena Dunham, Trevor Noah, uh, Karamo Brown, um, who essentially uh, created podcasts, um, uh, shows for, for Luminary. Um, I don't, while there's a lot of money, I think in, in podcasting, um, or there, there has the potential to be looking at it right now. I mean, our podcast doesn't generate any revenue at this stage. Um, it's, it's more of a, a good exercise for us and something that we enjoy doing. Um, I don't, I think I the paid model, here. I think the paid model with podcasts is a bit silly because it sort of defeats the purpose. It misses the point to me of like why people, gravitate towards podcasts because they are long form content free to listen um you know and i get exclusivity deals i think they're smart i just think locking podcasts behind a paywall is not unless you were to get like a big player like joe rogan on an exclusive platform then i think enough people would you know go over to there but i think you're better off doing what spotify does where they bring people on exclusively, but mm-hmm. they, there is no paywall. You can listen to their podcast for free and then you've ended up downloading their app and you've created an account and used it as essentially a marketing it. tool. I think, I think, I mean, I would disagree with the whole Joe Rogan thing as well, because if there's enough money in it, then Joe Rogan would just come up with his own platform, I would argue, or, um, you know, the exclu- the problem is that people watch, I've never listened to Joe Rogan's podcast, but I've watched Mm. video clips. So, you know, if you go exclusive, do you then not have the video clips on YouTube? So typically, typically um, using the Joe Biden podcast as an example, exclusivity deals basically say that you can only, you can upload video clips to YouTube and video, um, video streaming platforms, but Mm. you can't, but the audio content is exclusive to that podcast platform. So that's a way to get around it. But right. I get what you, I, and I think like the reason it's typically um, traditional celebrities who take these exclusivity deals um, is because they don't really understand the value in being able to be listened to by millions of people because the barrier to entry is so low. Like it would have to be a large check to get someone like Joe Rogan to go exclusive because he would be making so much money off just simply advertising revenue because if you have, you know, three or 4 million uh, listeners who listen every day, I mean, like, yeah, definitely. You, you can charge a lot of money for a that. lot of money, but well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you lead, you lead to a good point in that um, traditional celebrities like this or people who make their money in the entertainment business don't know how to money. Their business isn't set up to monetize this sort of listeners that yeah. they're, their role is more like a normal job um, with maybe, you know, a few, few sponsors, sponsorships of products thrown in. Um, so uh, nonetheless, it's interesting. I think six months in to find a new CEO, ooh, scary, I would say. Um, mm. for, they've got something like $30 million in, in extra funding. Um, so not small money, I guess people are, um, I don't know. I, it's just, I think that, I think podcast listeners have spoken personally. I think there's, there's this little certainty around what they're trying to do. Um, looking at the comments. Um, yeah. You know, I'm just reading, you know, mm, delicious. Now, if they just shut their door, doors and show once and for all that all this was a bad idea run by greedy idiots, this would just be perfect or circling the drain. I love the bad, smell of bad ideas falling in, failing in the morning. Um, yeah, but they'll just be bailed out or acquired by Google or something. Maybe that's their go, but I guess. Um, yeah. I feel like Google could create a platform. Like yeah, they, they probably could. Yeah. yeah, I mean they have their own platform. They just haven't been too keen. Um, 
but you know, podcasting is on the, on its way up. I would say, um, I saw some stats the other day that podcasting, when you look at people are talking about podcasting now hitting like prime time and you look at the stats and podcasting is nowhere near prime time. So, um, and that's still led to, you know, celebrities. Um, it's led to people making a lot of success off podcasts. So you can imagine how big podcasts will be once it really starts to hit its prime and really starts to be enjoyed yeah. as a, as a source um, of, of entertainment by yeah. um, people. But Moving on, YouTube launched its first interactive original, which is um, it's featuring a, a a guy called Markiplier. Um, I'd yeah, say... Markiplier. He's like a pretty he's a pretty big YouTuber, and he's like pretty <laughs> beloved because he's like he you know he's been around in the YouTube community for a long time. He's sort of like loved between like fans and like other YouTubers. He's pretty. <laughs> You know, okay. He's just the guy who has a long lineage on the platform. People have seen him like grow up and stuff like that. So yeah, he's pretty synonymous with the YouTube brand. I'd say he's like, so it's a good sort of partnership there. Well, like good in the sense that he represents YouTube. Yeah. He like, yeah. 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 So the new show will debut on uh, the 30th of October uh, with 61 total videos leading to 31 possible endings. So basically this will be an interactive show where you can pick sort of what they do next or what happens next. Another interesting form of content really. Um, well, it, it, it's not new. That's the thing. Like Netflix rolled out a couple of um, interactive originals themselves. I mean, and they even got Black Mirror, which is like one of their most successful shows to, you know, release an interactive similar. piece of media on there. And yeah. even Bear Grylls did one where... Right, okay. Like, I wasn't aware of any of this. Yeah, so Bear Grylls had one where he, he was, you know, stranded, in quotes, like on an island and you got to choose whether he goes up the river, whether he goes through the bushes, hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I wonder whether this this is driven by any research indicating that people, you know, become more engaged in contact if, content if they have more agency over it i would but, say um, so um and it would lead to very interesting advertising content don't you think i think it'll be fun i i think it would i think the problem that uh these these pieces of content will run into is that when you have interactive content there's a lot more permeations of stuff you have to write the scripts often become inflated i mean i don't i've never produced it personally but this is stuff that's existed in the video game realm for ages and mm you know, all the developers of those games say the reason it takes so long to make these games is that you have well, to essentially write intense. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, not to harp on about this too much, but like the drawback of it is, is that because of, you know, limited resources, the permeations aren't going to be that different. You know, they can't have things that end up in totally different places because it just takes too much resources and it's not. Yeah. Like know, whole new sets and whatever it may be. Yeah. No, still interesting. Um, I like any any new sort of um, forms of entertainment. Um, I think mm. it's a good thing for for people like us um, who, you know, like to enjoy new content and also like to create new ways of, um, not necessarily advertising, but just new content that can be absorbed and can talk about what you want to do. But moving on for a, one last one that's. Um, very close to home, not quite home, but close to home is uh, Google launching Duplex uh, with their first international move with a, with a pilot in New Zealand. Um, Duplex is this, I really like personally, I, when I heard first about Duplex, it was a little while ago. So it's active in um, the US already. Um, and I just love that, you know, they're pushing more things to the rest of the world. Um, it allows... I'm not familiar with Duplex, so would you mind just quickly explaining yeah, it to so me? Yeah, so it's basically, it's a funny name, um, but it basically allows um, users to sort of, let's say, so one example here is that it allows users to make a restaurant reservation by phone, um, but instead of you speaking to the person over the phone or like to make a, 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 um, a reservation at a restaurant, Google duplex will hop in. Um, it's, it's sort of like Google assistant and speak on your behalf 
but sounds like a human speaking and then make the booking, make the reservation Ugh. for you and add it into your calendar, so on and so forth. Um, That's creepy. I'd almost rather the robotic voice rather than like... <laughs> I, I, I agree because it is, it is sort of creepy. Um, but I guess the whole point here, again, is Google becoming more human-like, um, which is scary, I, I confess. Um, but... I mean, um, I just can't imagine like, you know, this poor person on the phone for the restaurant gets called by this AI program and, you know, he or she is being so nice and like asking about their day. And this thing is just being like, <laughs> it doesn't know how to respond. Oh, no, no, no. It will. It does. That's the scary part. So Google Duplex, if you listen to some of the examples, Google Duplex acts like a human, you know, would respond saying things like, oh, how's your day? Or um, it, it even responds to, you know, oh, let me just check. Give me a minute. Let me see if that time works for me. So it is, yes, I can see your face. If you're watching it on video, you can see Hayden sort of freak out a little bit because it is a little bit creepy. Um, but nonetheless, I'm just a big fan of Google. And I just think that, you know, the less sort of international boundaries um, or, or country-based boundaries we get, um, the better, where we get to try new things, where we can get what the US gets or, you know, in some cases what even Australia gets in advance. Um, I, I get limited sort of releases, but you know, the quicker we get stuff, the better because we can play around with it yep. and experiment with it. So um, yep. yeah, I think this has been a long, long episode, Hayden. Yeah. I think this is like almost an hour long or something. Wow. Well, let's hope you can edit it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's all been good content. Like obviously if you've gotten this far on the podcast, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be this long. There was just, for whatever reason this week. Just a big week of news. It was popping. It the really news was. Coming really out of our ears. Um, yeah. Well, thanks uh, everyone for listening. Um, as always, once this episode goes up, we'll have all the links to all the articles that we've talked about and the video will be on YouTube. If you have any comments, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All those details in the description. Thanks for joining me, Hayden. Not a problem. Catch you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Future Drive podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping us. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, email us at hello at futuretri.be. If you haven't already, become a part of the tribe on Facebook. Go to futuretri.be slash fb and invite your friends. We're just getting started and we would love to see you there. That's it from us. I hope this episode has empowered you to keep working on bettering your future. It's a pleasure to have you as part of the tribe. See you next time.